Father in heaven, uh, there's so many things in this world that we don't understand. You know, we think back to World War One, World War Two, Korea, whatever. Uh, we're just going to be so glad when Jesus comes to put an end to wars and crying and sorrow and tears. And so we ask that you will bless our meeting this afternoon. But first of all, Lord, bless uh, the people there in Paris. Draw close to them. And then, Father, draw close to us all our lives, our families. And be with us in a meeting this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for the library. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to mention a few things that are not in the book <laughs> and that are not in the DVD, okay? So uh, let me begin. What I want to emphasize, you know, when I was thinking about this, I really don't want to emphasize the war, even though I'll mention it, okay? I want to emphasize God's miracles in my life. Because it's all about Him, it's not about me. Well, uh, my mother originally came from uh, Germany, Bavaria, the area that opposed Hitler coming to power. And my father came from Vienna, Austria. And they met here in this country, in Chicago, planning to get married. And, uh, you know, immigrants in those days, when they came here to this country, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they had to really work hard. Uh, my mother used to work in the sweatshops of Chicago, the bakeries, and, you know, work eight, ten hours a day and, and uh, get home late, whatever. Anyway, the point is they were planning their marriage. Mm -hmm. So she would call them, you know, every evening. Uh, they were not, that was before the days of cell phones, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, the, the, long, the long stem telephone with the hook on the side. <laughs> and, uh, you know, talk about the wedding and so on. Well, one evening she called his apartment and there was no answer. So she said, well, you know, maybe something came up, an appointment, whatever, and okay. Because he couldn't always get a hold of her. She had to call him. And so she called the next night and again there was no answer. So she said, now this is strange. So she went over to his apartment and uh, uh, knocked on the door, but uh, there was no answer. So she saw the landlady. Oh, the landlady said he left a couple of days ago. He did? Where'd he go? I don't know. What about his stuff? He took all this stuff with him. Oh my word, my mother felt abandoned because I was on the way. And, uh, you know, what do you do when she has to work, you know, in the sweatshops and here she's got a new one, now what does she do with them? And I was a little preemie, born 
I don't know whether I was born early. Must have been born early. Maybe you know. That's, but anyway, I weighed about four pounds. Uh, so I've been a little guy all my life. <laughs> um, so she had to find babysitters for me. Well, she found we lived in 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 uh, one of these. Uh, high-rise uh, buildings in Chicago, and I, well, I shouldn't say high-rise, but anyway, you got to go to apartment buildings about three stories up, you know, and, and uh, steps going up the back, you know, uh, uh, wooden balconies, you know, there in the back and so on. And so, uh, yeah, she found a babysitter there. And uh, one uh, day she came home a little early, and... Um, the uh, the door was open, and I was sitting in there in the in the corner crying. And uh, so she said, uh, "You know, how, how come he's sitting in there crying?" Well, they said we told him if he stopped crying, we'd give him something to eat. She said he's crying because he is hungry. <laughs> so this gives you a little idea, okay? And then. Uh, Another, another day, she came home a little early, walking up the uh, steps. In the meantime, I, I must have been about uh, a year old or year and a half, and I was playing on the back porch and uh, pulling, work, trying to get a broom loose that was under a rocking chair in the, on the back porch. Okay, and I pulled real hard and lost my balance and fell backwards, and, uh, you know, you have the, 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 the railing there, you know, what do you, what do you call them, slats or whatever, you know. But anyway, they were not very close together. They were quite far apart. So a little guy, I pulled real hard and fell through those slats and on down, three stories down. My mother was coming up the stairs, and saw me fall, and then she almost ran back down and almost lost her, you know, balance, whatever, running back down. Here I was on the ground, and I was uh, um, unconscious. Fortunately, I, I hit the, uh, you know, the lawn, not the cement. But anyway, I was unconscious for about a week. And... Uh, I mean, God's intervention, you know, I mean. Uh, anyway, you know, then uh, I recovered and my uh, great aunt, my mother's aunt, my great aunt, felt a little sorry for us and she find, she took us in. And that, that was a relief more, it was more regular family living, you know. She, she had, uh, my great aunt, of course, had sons and uh, my uncles and of course, they were older, grown, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> um, and so I grew up, and when I uh, got to be, uh, you know, school age, uh, my, my mother was a faithful Catholic. And so, uh, you know, uh, when I was, well, when I, I should go back, when I was born, you know, shortly thereafter, I was baptized, you know, obviously. Little baby sprinkled by the priest. But anyway, when I got to be uh, elementary school age, yeah, I went to school. And uh, the nuns, what I, one thing I remember about the nuns, they were very kind. Okay? 
little like little Mother Teresa's. <laughs> really. I mean, they would come into the classroom and they would say, how many of you didn't have breakfast today? <laughs> you know, kids, we would raise our hand. They should say, come, come on back. Take us back to the kitchen and feed us breakfast. Now, I want to ask you a question. You think I will ever forget that? No. There are some very kind Mother Teresa's out there. Right? Yes. And anyway, you know, then I got to be uh, a little older, seven, eight, nine. Um, about when I was about 10 years old, my mother uh, said, well, she had been in this country for 17 years or so. Well, she would like to go back and see her grandparents and, you know, my, I mean, her parents, my grandparents. And um, so we went. She saved up, uh, you know, some verification time and uh, so she could be over there for about three weeks or whatever. And we went over, uh, she saved money, and we went over on, uh, on the ship. Uh, it took eight days to get there, okay? Now, I still remember the name of the ship, Columbus, it was called. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, making the regular trip between uh, Bremenhaven in Germany and, of course, you know, New York. Yeah, and so from we went from Chicago, New York, got on a ship, went over there eight days, and it was, of course when we got there in Bremenhaven, then we had to take uh, the train uh, down to uh, Hohenberg in Bavaria, light near Leipzig, and uh, and of course my grandparents, you know, met us and all they're glad to see, and my mother was glad to see her, you know, brothers and sisters, whatever, yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, my grandfather owned a little farm that was in Hohenberg, uh, not too far from, from Prague, Czechoslovakia, which, of course, Hitler later took over. And, uh, you know, being on the farm, uh, I want to tell you, it's a different experience than living in uh, uh, Chicago. <laughs> oh, wow, inner city, oh, yeah. Oh, the sky is blue. Oh, what do you know? Isn't that wonderful? And there are animals. Oh, yeah, real animals, not just pictures of animals, you know. And I just love the farm. So one day, uh, my grandfather, after about a week or so, and uh, uh, he talked to my mother and said, you know, uh, uh, why don't you let him stay out of school for a year and stay on the farm and work and get some sunshine, develop some muscles, Okay, and uh, yeah, so my mother said, <laughs> let's ask him. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. You ask a 10-year-old if he wants to stay out of school for a year, oh, what is he going to say? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know what I was saying, I want to tell you, because my mother was the only person in the world I knew who really loved me, and she really did. And uh, I could tell. Anyway, so the time came for her to go, so we got on, uh, on an ox cart and had to take an ox cart to the next town, Leipzig, where we would catch the train. So the time came to say goodbye. 
and to leave my mother, then it hit home. Wow, leave, you know, even if it's only for a year, but to leave. And I just got a hold of my mother and held on and held on and cried and cried. And my grandparents had to pry my fingers away from my mother. And uh, then she went and got on the train and stood on the platform on the back, you know. And the train pulled out and waved. I said, you know what that was like? You're like taking a, like a, a rubber band. If you take a rubber band and you stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, what happens? Pop. And boy, I want to tell you, it just hit. And I cried and cried and refused to eat for three days, that I remember. Cried and refused to eat for three days. Well, after you don't eat for three days, what happens? <laughs> yeah, you start eating, oh yeah. Anyway, so I worked on the farm and consoled myself, you know, that I would uh, see her in a year or whatever. And uh, of course, uh, that was 39, and uh, what happened? World War II, yes. World War II broke out, and there was no way to get out. All the borders were closed. My grandfather wouldn't dare to take me, uh, you know, like the sound of music across the border into Switzerland, you know, because he had opposed Hitler coming to power and had spent some time in prison. So if they caught him, okay, what would they do? That, that would be the end. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, my uncles, of course, were drafted, and uh, so, uh, you know, he needed all, he needed all the help he could get on the farm and needed to stay in the farm or Hitler would take away the farm. And uh, so the borders were closed and so it was a matter of staying there. And so then, you know, I, my grandfather said, well, you need to go to school. Well, by that time I had learned German, could speak German. And so I went to the school right there in that little town, okay, German school. Um, yeah, uh, teachers were hard. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, I don't know whether I should say this next thing or not. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, we were a little mischievous, and uh, we knew that learned that the teacher was afraid of mice. She didn't like mice. So guess what idea we came up with? <laughs> we, got a, we got a mouse, <laughs> killed it, and put the dead mouse on the doorknob. So when she uh, would come in, because to school or whatever, open the door, she would grab that dead mouse. Ah! Okay, who did that? <laughs> okay, put out your hand. And I want to tell you, you know, she would take a ruler and swat us right across the hand as hard as she could. But since we were farm boys, we had a lot of 
calluses there, and we just kind of half, half smiled. <laughs> and she, <laughs> and she, um, yeah, well, got the idea, well, no. And she smacked us across the fingertips. Oh, yeah, that was a different story. <laughs> anyway, went to school. You know, of course, what, there was a 41, there was, a, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And then shortly thereafter, you know, war was declared. Japan and, and Germany were, you know, partners and all that, allies. And so then the war started, whatever, in Germany and with the United States, I mean. <clears throat> and by that time, uh, 42, I was up, uh, oh, let's see, I must have been in the sixth grade or something, okay. Um, and uh, there, that's as far as the school went in that little town of Hohenberg. So in order to go to school, you know, further on, you had to apply to go further on in the high school and all that. So I filled out the papers. My grandfather said, I'm not going to stay in the way, stand in the way of your education. Because, you know, I don't want to do that. Your mother wouldn't like that. So I filled out the papers and sent them in. A couple of months later, I get notice uh, from Berlin. Your acceptance in the school was approved. You need to show up uh, as, such, as soon as you can up in Berlin. Oh. So I told, showed my grandfather and, uh, well, he was pleased on the one hand. On the other hand, he was not so pleased because uh, he would lose a farm worker, you know? And of course, farming in those days, in those places, how can I best describe it? It was just like farming in Abraham Lincoln's day. Everything was done by hand, okay? I mean, clean out the, the barn and whatever with all the manure and shovel it on the wagon and haul it out to the field and unload it into piles and then uh, spread it by hand and then plow it under, okay, fertilizer. And, uh, well, everything was done by hand, whether it was a harvesting or plowing, wooden plows, you know, hold on to these wooden plows and have two oxen pull the plows. And, uh, you, boy, you got to keep your eyes straight ahead. I mean, yeah, otherwise you can't just go rocking along. And, you know, you have to make a clean furrow, right? Straight. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, was, uh, went up to Berlin, and uh, he missed my work there on the farm. Got to Berlin, and uh, they said, no, you need to go in, you need to go to Königs Wusterhausen. That's this way outside of Berlin. So I got on a train to Königs Wusterhausen. And as the train was going out, more and more people were getting off. And it seems like I was the only one on the train almost. So finally got there, oh, Kernick's with the house and everybody off. Well, I got off and I didn't know kind of like where I was. And all of a sudden, uh, a fella comes walking up to me in a brown shirt and a swastika band on his arm and a uh, visor cap, 
black boots, right? What's your name? I told him my name, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I had my mother's maiden name. Blanco comes from my stepfather's name when she remarried, yeah, which was later. Told him my name, my name was uh, Kisling, K-I-E-S-L-I-N-G, Kisling. And I uh, told him, yeah, you know, and of course, Jax comes from uh, Jakob, okay? So it was Jakob Kisling. Told him my name, he says, come with me. Okay. So I followed him, we walked a couple blocks this way, a couple blocks that way. Ooh, ooh. there was barbed wire. And there were go dog, I mean, uh, guards and dogs and, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, that was the first taste of labor camp, okay? Now, let me pause here and make a distinction. This concentration camp, and some of you probably have seen the Corey Ten Boom's film on concentration camps, okay? The hiding place. Pardon? The hiding place, yeah. Yeah. Then there are what they call labor camps, but uh, it's actually a restricted camps. Your mo mobility is restricted. You may have a little, uh, you know, uh, what should I say, lack of food a little bit, but there's nothing there. It's nothing serious, ser real serious, life-threatening there necessarily. So there's a concentration camp, there's labor camp, and then there's a slave labor camp. And slave labor camp, yeah, that's when they work you and work you until you collapse and they carry you out. And that is the end, but I'll come to that in a second. Anyway, so this was the first labor, uh, labor camp, slave labor camp, okay? And uh, this was basically uh, doing a lot of... Uh, farm work uh, to help feed the German Wehrmacht, okay? And of course there were, uh, by this time bombings were going on in uh, Europe and the Allies were bombing Berlin and all that and, <clears throat> and uh, we had to uh, build uh, uh, air raid shelters, okay, in order to protect uh, ourselves and uh, and others, other friends, and oh yeah, the sirens would go off and uh, we would sit there in all these air raid shelters, you know, bomb shelters with, with wood supports and, you know, dirt mounds and so on and so forth, protect us from any shells. And of course we would hear the Allied planes come over and we would hear, you know, the uh, the German planes are trying to shoot them down, you know, and pop, 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 you know, and all of a sudden we hear this. Uh, we thought it was all, all all over, and all of a sudden we hear this this lone plane flying. Oh, he he probably got separated, uh, Allied plane separated from the others, and he was dropping his load of bombs as fast as he could, lighten his load. And so we heard, heard the bombs dropping, you know, wow, 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 Oh, my word. And one came so close, we, the earth shook, and then quiet. So we got out and looked, 
Next morning, of course, we had to clean up and we paced it off because they all fell in the line. One more bomb, it would have had a direct hit on our air raid shelter. And I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Now the Lord worked many miracles in my life, and I don't know why I deserve it. You know, from the time I was little fell off that three-story thing, and you name it, and whatever. Anyway, uh, we cleaned up, and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, and every once in a while they would take us into uh, what looked like gas chambers and we thought they were going to exterminate us. But they were, uh, we were put in there in order to kill the lice and the bugs and the insects and whatever else that we had all over us. Yeah. From there I got transferred from uh, Koenig's Worcester Housing to Leipzig. Yeah, I got on the train and um, headed to Leipzig. And, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, we went over there to uh, visit places again. And uh, the train came in, uh, you know, unloaded us, and we were marching towards the uh, gate to uh, get into the... Uh, next camp, and as we were marching in, now what I'm going to tell you is the honest truth, so help me the Lord. As we were marching in, all of a sudden, I was taken out of line and was placed way over in the field. And I looked what in the world? Oh, there's the barbed wire. Oh, there are the other people marching in. How did they get way out here in the field? Huh? Wow. Looking back now, reminded me of the story of Philip in the Bible. Remember, he was uh, coming out of Jerusalem and met the Ethiopian eunuch. And they were shared Christ with him, and then the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, asked to be baptized, and he baptized him there. And then all of a sudden it says Philip was caught up and moved to, to the other city of Sertoris. Wow. So there I was in the field. Nobody around. Oh. Took me a while to get my thoughts together, and and so I took off and headed for, uh, headed for uh, you know, my grandfather's farm, which wasn't, well, it took a day or two, but uh, anyway. Got to my grandfather's farm, knocked on the door, and of course, in those days, there was no communication. Like I already said, no cell phones and whatever. So he didn't know where I was. He thought I was in school. <clears throat> so I knocked on the door and, uh, you know, uh, my grandmother opened the door and, oh, 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 where have you been? And looked at me, how come you're so thin and skinny and whatever? What's the matter with you? Where have you been? So I told her and told her, oh, my word, come in, come in. And so, okay, I mean, she prepared a big meal for me. Oh, my word, oh, wow. Whew. I mean, this is food, <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> and uh, then the next morning, uh, my grandfather talked to me. He called me, uh, he called me son. He said, son, you're going to have to turn yourself in. Because if they find out that I'm harboring a fugitive, okay, they will get me. You have to turn yourself in. So in order to save the family, I turned myself in. And then I was shipped uh, over to uh, turn myself in, and I was taken down to Bechnitz, which is near Nuremberg, put in a slave labor camp there, and the job that I had was uh, working on uh, uh, military uh, equipment and, uh, uh, I don't know what exactly what it was, and weapons or whatever, you know, doing my little part on the machine. Yeah, working 10 hours a day, get up 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and uh, you know, the first thing we had to get up and line up on outside and uh, where the... Uh, uh, Nazi flag was and uh, stand and hear some propaganda information and uh, I tell you one thing that I learned you know all this propaganda against the United States against America against whatever whatever and, and um, how, how uh, German people are being mistreated in America which wasn't true but you know after a while when you history here lies and lies and lies and lies. What happens? If you don't watch out, you believe what you hear. So I learned to set my mind against what I heard. Oh, yeah. Anyway, then work. Uh, for breakfast, uh, we got... Um, a cup of black coffee and a slice of bread. That was it. For lunch, we got a bowl of watery soup. I mean, literally, watery soup called soup. Yeah. Two slices of bread. And at night, a cup of black coffee and a slice of bread. That was it. Okay. And I saw some of my uh, co-workers uh, collapse. And they came and carried them out. And you saw them no more. Now why the Lord kept me going, I don't know. Now I'm going to add something else which is not in the book or the DVD. <laughs> By this time... Uh, Oh, yeah, it was getting uh, near, you know, uh, the end of 44 and somewhere in there. The Allies were pushing up into Germany. Hitler was getting desperate. Of course, he had already lost the war on the Russian front, you know. But anyway, he's getting desperate, and he was drafting anybody from 16 to 60 to fight. And... Um, as I already said, I don't know why some things happened <clears throat> to me the way they did. Uh, the Lord's hand in it, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he, uh, they, um, German military, well, not, not the SS now, but German military, came and uh, 
there were three of us that were, of course, of German background. You know, myself, a Russian who had German roots, and a, an actual uh, a German young man. So they came into camp. They said, you know, how old are you? Oh, 16? All right, come with me. Took the three of us and took them, took us into the German Wehrmacht, drafted, so to speak. Just took us into the German Wehrmacht. Took us at a, to a military training camp nearby. Gave us uh, uniforms. And, of course, we had all kinds of training and using uh, guns and bazookas and anti-tank weapons and you name it. I still remember this line of uh, little skinny young people, okay, marching along. And we had to march along right in front of a uh, <clears throat> German army hospital where wounded soldiers were being treated. They sat out on the front porch of that hospital and kind of laughed at us, okay? I mean, here are these veterans, German veterans, and, and these, these little kids are gonna win the war, ha, 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 you know? And um, anyway, I still remember that. So after the training, <clears throat> about two weeks of training, whatever, now here's another miracle. Instead of taking us to the front, and we had the three of us already decided that if they take us to the front, we are not going to fight, we're just going to surrender. Let the Allies take us. Yeah. So anyway, after the training, I don't know, one, one of these days I'm going to ask the Lord why. Uh, these soldiers took us back to the to the to the labor camp. They he, they said, "Wait here till we get you." No, wait, wait a minute. Why? I mean, the battle was going on not far from there. They could have put us. You were in uniform. Yeah, we were in uniform. Yeah, German, uh, you know, military uniform. Uh, it was a little too big for us, but uh, yeah, we were. <laughs> anyway, he took us back there, and he said, wait here till, I, till I, I, we'll get you when we need you, whatever. So the, uh, the German guards there at the labor camp, of course, they accepted us now as friends rather than enemies. And so, you know, we uh, would get better acquainted with them, and uh, of course, we still had some... Uh, some of our older clothes still there at the labor camp. And um, so, uh, you know, he, uh, we would make friends with him and sometimes he would uh, be called away for some emergency. And he says, you know, just stay here and, and keep an eye on the place. Oh, that gave us an idea. Yeah, put on our civilian clothes that we still had there underneath our German uniforms and when he uh, has an emergency call and we look around and there's nobody else around, what? Take off the 
No, no, take off. Not the uniform, but take off. Go. Yeah. And so, uh, oh yeah, we uh, were there one day and he was called and he said, okay, watch the place, you know, uh, I'll be back. And we looked around and we looked and there was a woods not too far away. And he looked around and, okay, let's go. And so we took off. Okay? Why, yeah. why would you do that? You got food. Huh? You got food in the camp. Yeah, yeah I got food in the camp. Well, we may not survive the camp. <laughs> they may... Uh, they may, yeah, you know, sure. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do with uh, when they, right, right. the the war is over, and you're, they just t take the guns and line you up, and uh, you know, just mow you down. So anyway, uh, no, we took off, and uh, went out a little ways, and um, uh, we took off. Uh, we took off our uniforms and tossed them. And uh, well, we had a little, uh, a little uh, a knife in the, in, that we carried on our belts, you know, with a German swastika on the handle and all that. Obviously, we got rid of all that, whatever. Okay. Had our civilian clothes on underneath. And, and uh, one day we were walking through, through the woods, making our way. And uh, all of a sudden we hear, uh, HALT! It was so dark, you could hardly see my hand in front of my face. Oh, it was a German, I mean, it was a German guard, okay? And we looked around and, okay, the German soldiers, a lot of them were asleep there in the woods, you know? Where are you going? Oh, we, we are displaced persons, you know? We got displaced because of the Allied invasion and whatever, and. And, uh, well, in one sense, it was true, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, listen, okay, which direction are you going? This way. Be careful. Because if you go out on the road, out in the open, the Allied uh, planes are strafing everything they see. So don't go out in the open. In daytime. So we listened to him, and he let us go and pointed out, and then, of course, a little while later, we just split up. The Russian went in one direction, and the, 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 the other uh, German young man and myself, we went in the direction of his uh, place, you know, little village. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, his folks, you know, oh, they were so glad to see him and welcomed him and uh, gave us a good meal. And then, of course, then I left and headed towards my grandfather's town, farm. Well, I tell you, that took, uh, I don't know how many days that took us to get home. I'm about three days, I don't know why that sticks in my mind. But um, I remember uh, uh, walking through the woods and uh, all of a sudden you hear this noise behind me and I look and they were American tanks pushing through the woods. Okay, I mean, the, the tanks, they, small trees, I mean, a tank just pushes them right over, you know. Oh, yeah. Originally, uh, let me back up a little bit. Originally, we had planned to go through Nuremberg, okay? But when we got out of the camp, made our way through the, to the, to, to the woods and trying to head, head towards Nuremberg, oh, when we got near there, the whole city was on fire. 
oh, the Allies had bombed it. Okay, so uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, we uh, headed another direction, and I got uh, made my way to my my grandfather's uh, town, and got to the town and to my grandfather's house just before the American troops pulled in right after me. Okay. Oh yeah, but anyway, home. Yeah. Now there's a problem. Okay, because the American troops came in, and of course after I, uh, you know, settled in for a couple of days and so on, and uh, yeah, the Allied uh, troops, our troops were pushing, uh, you know, north uh, up uh, into uh, what, you know, what we would call West Germany and towards Berlin and all that. And um, first I thought, well, maybe I could just get on one of their trucks and ride with them. You know, get home, whatever way, back to America. But I noticed that they had Russian tr uh, troops on their trucks as well, one or two Russian military, you know. And I said, no, I don't want to go in that direction. You know? And I'm glad I didn't, you know, because uh, going up to Berlin again and whatever and, and <laughs> getting into the fights and so anyway, I stayed there on the farm, and uh, then, of course, uh, uh, shortly thereafter, the uh, war ended, and I uh, went, and I uh, went to the American intelligence and turned myself, in, well, I shouldn't say turned myself, went to uh, see them, and I told them that uh, I was an American, and born in America, and I'd like to get back home. Well, by this time, this is near 45, and I went over to Germany in um, 39. This is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, six years later. I hadn't heard English for six years. I hadn't spoken English for six years. I couldn't talk English. And they said, you were what? They talked to me in German. You were what? You were born in, the, in, in America, in Chicago, whatever? Oh, my word. Well, let me see your papers. I mean, you can't even talk English. Let me see your papers. Well, the, the Germans had taken away all my papers. I had no, no way to prove that I was an American. Oh, well, I got discouraged, went back to the farm, and another miracle happened. The German mailman, it's a little tiny town. The German mailman brought a letter from my mother. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, six, seven, six, seven years, whatever, going on seven years. A miracle. Oh yeah, we've been. I've been. One. I wonder how you have been. Haven't heard from you all these years. Okay, and contacted Red Cross and paid the money. Asked them to find you. They can't find you. They don't know where you are. Oh wow! But it was just so. It was her. The, you know, so glad to hear from her. And so I took this letter to the American uh, military. You know, to the intelligence, and showed them the letter. They said, "Where'd you get this letter?" 
I said, well, the German mailman, there is no civilian mail coming through yet, okay? This, maybe this was just, just before the war ended. I don't remember exactly, you know, whether it was just a week or so after, a week or so before. There is no civilian mail coming through. I said, I don't know, but here it is, okay? So they said, have a seat. I waited there for, I still remember that, for three hours while they check things out. Three hours later, they come back. Okay, we checked it out. It's genuine, it's true, you know, and so on. And I don't know whether, to this day, I don't know whether they contacted my mother or who they contacted, or Red Cross, whatever. So they said, go back to the farm and, uh, you know, we'll contact you. So I went back to the farm and then a short time later, they said, okay, uh, come to, uh, camped here in, in uh, to Frankfurt. Uh, I, uh, what do they call this camp? Re, not the rehabilitation, but uh, re... can't think of the name right now. Um, anyway, so I went down to Frankfurt, and of course Frankfurt was all bombed, and I still remember going down there and having to, uh, you know, crawl over all kinds of debris and uh, Oh, that, the city was a, a mess. Anyway, they put, it, put us into this rehabilitation camp. Um, and, uh, well, at least we got some, you know, satisfactory food. Not, not totally, but... Anyway, and then, of course, finally, uh, after a while, we're taken on a train and uh, taken to uh, Bremenhaven to be put on a boat to come back home. Okay? Let me tell you something, folks. Coming back on the ship and pulling into New York Harbor and seeing the Statue of Liberty, I had the chills from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Home free! Home free! Home free! Wow! Nobody knows what freedom is until you don't have it. No more guard dogs. No more slave labor. Home free. Yeah. Wow. Huh? By the way, when uh, when I got out of camp, uh, yeah, I weighed. What would I do? I weighed eighty-five pounds, and I was five foot tall. And uh, after a year back in the States, I put on 50 pounds <laughs> and grew six inches. <laughs> now I'm shrinking again. <laughs> anyway, my mother was supposed to welcome me, and of course her train got delayed from Chicago, and uh, so uh, my aunt uh, lived in New York, one of my aunts, and... Uh, uh, my cousin came to pick me up. Okay, I got, actually I got a call. Came into Ellis Island and got a call. They handed me the phone. You know, it was one of those long neck phones with a hook on the side. Okay, they handed it to me. Well, I didn't know. Okay, uh, so I took the earpiece and, and started talking into the earpiece <laughs> and then put the other piece on my ear. Oh, all the ladies, no, 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 that's not the way. They, it's this way. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Huh? You're talking German. 
Oh, yeah, well, because my cousin, he could talk German, oh, you know, so, sure. <clears throat> and so uh, then he came to pick me up. The next day, uh, of course, everybody, you know, glad to see me and all that. And Anyway, the next day he came to pick me up. He said, well, we got to take you shopping, you know. And, um, okay. And so as we were walking down the street, I mean, I looked like a 12-year-old kid, okay? And I had learned there in, uh, in labor camp, I had learned to, to smoke. Because uh, right near our camp there in Bagnitz, near Nuremberg, there was a, uh, a uh, prisoner of war camp, American prisoner of war camp, and a Russian prisoner of war camp, okay? Separated by uh, fence, uh, you know. Well, not only barbed wire, what do you call that? Uh, yeah, anyway, fence. fence. Pardon? Cyclone fence. What kind? Cyclone. Cyclone, Cyclone fence. Well, no, the, the, you know, it's huh? chain link, chain link fence. And, uh, well, the Russians, you know, our POWs, uh, they, we never saw them open packages, but the American POWs, they always got packages. And they would smoke their cigarettes, and then when they got through smoking them, they would take their butts and what? flip them through the fence, okay, chain link fence, and of course we would run over there and grab them, okay, and, that, and, and piece them together and start smoking because what? Smoking uh, would help swage the hunger, see? And so uh, anyway, so when I came back to the States, yeah, I was smoking. And so here, you know, my cousin is taking me down to go shopping and uh, he bought me some cigarettes and so I was smoking. We got stopped by the police. <laughs> Pardon? Because you bought the child. That's right. What is this? Talks to my cousin. What is this twelve-year-old kid doing smoking cigarettes? Wow. He says, No, he's not twelve years old. He's seventeen years old. Oh. Ooh. Then told the policeman about it. Anyway. So then they took took me to the store. And my cousin says, okay, we got to buy you some clothes. The first thing we need to buy you is some underwear. I says, underwear? What's underwear? <laughs> you know? Uh, no, he said underclothes, I think he said, underclothes. I says, what are underclothes? Well, he says, those are clothes you wear under your clothes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Probably some underclothes. The next day, of course, my mother came. And then I learned, of course, that she had gotten married. You know, and uh, she had uh, met a, uh, a man in Chicago uh, who was originally from Florida, and his parents had come from Spain and had immigrated to Cuba and from Cuba to the Florida. And uh, he was in Chicago, and they met and they got married, and he was operating a, a small little one-room restaurant. Okay, his name was Blanco. And so uh, my mother said, would you be willing to change your name? I says, anything. I mean, I'm home, free, whatever. You want to call me, it doesn't make a difference to me. Well, she says, she was embarrassed to have to introduce me, you know, her son named Blanco, and then me having my mother's maiden name, Kisling, you know, and she was embarrassed about all this. And I said, sure, Mom, it doesn't make any difference, you know. Probably when I get to heaven, I'll get a new name and whatever. 
And so that's how my name was officially changed and was officially changed to Jack. Not, not Jacob, Jack. So officially, my name Jack is not a nickname. It is officially, legally Jack. Okay? Yeah. Anyway, I worked in the restaurant there, and uh, let me tell you, uh, uh, he, you know, my stepfather, of course, and my mother asked me to uh, uh, help there in the restaurant, which I was willing to do, and started as a dishwasher. In those days, they didn't have dishwasher. They had only dishwashers, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. And um, tell you another miracle. Uh, I don't know why the Lord has been so good to me, but anyway, praise His name forever. Um, down the basement uh, in that restaurant, we had what we, we, where we stored some extra food supplies, you know. And uh, there was always a water leak down there, so uh, we had little uh, uh, platforms you know, where we put uh, the boxes on and so on. And so sometimes there was maybe an inch or two of water there, you know. And I went down there one day and, uh, yeah, I mean, I needed stuff, food, you know, run to help to run the restaurant. And um, went down there and the water had gone over the, over the, is that what they call them? Pallets. Over the pallets. And so there was about an inch of water or, or, or two or whatever over the pallet. Well, I needed food. So, you know, so I stepped on the pallet and sure, I was standing in water and I needed something and I leaned way over to get it because I didn't want to keep walking the water, but I was still standing in the water. But anyway, I reached it and I, as I straightened up, the back of my neck, a, a wire, an electric wire Whoa. that was not secured by the electrician. Uh, you know, it was bare at the end. And I, as I straightened up, it touched the back of my neck. Oh, and I felt this surge of electricity go through me. On top of water. Well, I'm standing in about an inch or two of water. Oh, I waited for a minute. Well, oh, seemed to be okay. So I, I took what I got, had gotten and got, went up back upstairs and, you know, went to work. And obviously, I had to keep the, you know, uh, people supplied with their, their orders. Anyway, jumping ahead about a month or two later, I had a doctor's appointment. And you know, when the doctor looks at you and then he examines you, you open your mouth, you know, and he pushes your tongue down, right? Looks at your throat and he says, what happened to you? I, I, I see some scars there where your tonsils should be. Don't you have any tonsils? I said, yeah. You know, that electric shock had burned out my tonsils. <laughs> I have no tonsils. Is that good or bad? Well, I don't know. I mean, we have some probably some nurses here that can explain it. Yeah, that, that burned out my tonsils. Okay, yeah. But anyway, and then there was uh, uh, 
Well, that was 46 when I came back. Um, uh, two years later, of course, as I said, I put on weight and I put on height and whatever. Um, the Berlin Airlift started. Remember the Berlin Airlift? Right. Berlin Airlift started and uh, Russia wanted Russia wanted it wanted to take over the different sectors of Berlin, you know, because Berlin was divided in different sectors, the British and the American and so on. And the French. And the French. And uh, so we we flew food supplies into uh, the American sector, you know. And it looked like World War III was going to start. And Uncle Sam said, oh yeah, we need to start the draft. So they started the draft, okay? And uh, they looked at me, and by this time I had, as I already said, had grown a little and put on a little weight. Uncle Sam looked at me and, where have you been? We need you. Yeah. So I got drafted and uh, drafted, ended up in the Air Force and into a communications training. Anyway, and then uh, you must be smart. Korea. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the Korean War started then. What was it, 1950? I think the Korean War started. Pardon? Yeah, started the following year because I went in, I was drafted, I think it was July 49. And then the Korean War started, yeah, and so I got trained as a communications uh, person and went sent over to South Pacific. And from South Pacific, some of my buddies were transferred into Korea. And I said, Lord, listen, I've seen enough. Please, don't let me go to Korea. And the Lord answered my prayer. And because uh, the army went, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and picked you and you and you and you, you go to Korea. Okay, and they skipped over me. And so I was staying on Guam and my job was to communicate uh, uh, with the airplanes, guiding them into Korea. So they would fly from the United States to the South Pacific and from there into Korea, okay? But every day we had to learn a new code. You know, in those days they came out with these, uh, uh, what do they call them, ticker tape? Ticker tapes, yeah, with holes in it. Well, it depends on how the holes are configured. That would determine the uh, the code, you know. And so you learn the code, every day a new code, and guide them in. Anyway, uh, while I was over there, and uh, I kind of enjoyed the military, and I was gonna make the military my career. And, uh, but I thought, you know, who do I model my life after? I looked around at my buddies and I didn't see anyone to really model my life after or whatever. And then I looked at the officers. Well, the officers were a little better, but um, no. So one, one, uh, one evening I was lying in bed with a mosquito net around me. And again, neighbors and friends, I'm telling you the truth, the whole truth. Not my imagination, no. Still a small voice. Have you ever thought of following Jesus? 
Have you ever thought of following Jesus? Oh, that's the one to model your life after, huh? Yeah. He's honest, he's true, he's faithful. I'm thinking of all these qualities that Jesus has. And I thought, oh, if I would have lived 2,000 years ago, walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he would have said, Jack, come, follow me. Man, I said I would have followed him. Next thought comes to my mind, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. He's not dead, even though it was 2,000 years ago. Don't worry about it. He's not dead. He's alive today. You can follow him. Oh, that is a great idea. Model your life after him. Oh, yes. So I try to imagine what it was to, you know, model my life after Christ. You walk with him. You talk with him. Do you think Jesus would say to me, uh, Jack, come, let's stop in here in this bar and have a drink? You think he'd say that? No. no. So that ended my drinking. You think he would say, oh, well, Jack, here, have a smoke? In those days, they were smoking Lucky Strike. Okay? Here, have a Lucky Strike, have a smoke. I couldn't imagine Jesus doing that, so I stopped my smoking. Okay? Anyway, I don't want to go on and on. So that has been basically the thrust of my life, is to follow him the best I can. And I'm looking forward to seeing him one day. Okay? Praise the Lord. And of course, you know, I got felt the call to the ministry and then went to college and, and um, I went to Chicago and then uh, met my wife there in Chicago, you know, and she was a worker there at the church and, and uh, then went to college and went to the seminary and got into the ministry and make a long story short and uh, then uh, worked up, uh, you know, in the New Jersey area for a while as a pastor and then from there got a call to go to Africa and uh, then five years in Africa and then to the Far East and then came back to the States and uh, teaching uh, up there in Washington, D.C. at our college there for a while, and then got a call to come down here to Southern, make a long story short. And so I've been here, oh my word, when did I come? 1982, okay? So I've become a Southerner. <laughs> oh my. And of course, uh, you know, uh, one day uh, as I was... Uh, thinking about uh, my relationship to Jesus, you know. You know, you, when you, do, when you uh, study the Bible for your own devotional, you know, reading, I mean, you can read it, and I've read it and read it and read it through many times. And uh, after a while, you have to find a new way to go about it, or it gets into a routine. And you, don't, you want it to be a habit on the one hand, but you don't want it to be a routine. You want it to be a relationship. And so I thought to myself, you know, if Jesus were here today and I was walking with him 
or riding with him in the car. Uh, what would he tell me? Well, he would tell me the same thing that he said before. He wouldn't tell me anything different. Oh, yeah. What would it be like to put, to read the Bible, to read the New Testament as if Jesus were speaking to me today? Wow, that's an idea. So I, would, I started writing it out. I'd get up 3.30 in the morning, start writing it out by hand, starting with the book of Mark, okay? And you know, how would Jesus say what he said and how would he say it today? Well, I would have to check the Greek and later on the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew, just to make sure I wasn't running way off, okay? But how would he say it? And so I wrote, you know, Mark, and then I got into Matthew and whatever, New Testament, and then, uh, you know, got the New Testament, uh, and that was published, and then parents asked me to do the Old Testament, and I said, oh, my word. It took me three years to do the New Testament, and then seven years to do the Old Testament, so it took ten years altogether. So that's the uh, product, you know, the clear word, yeah, and... Uh, so anyway, the journey goes on, you know, as we go on, uh, looking forward for the Lord's come, right? I mean, what, I want to ask you a question. What do people do without hope? Without the hope of the coming of Christ and the resurrection and a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more war or sorrow or crying or any more pain, all these former things are passed away. What do people do without hope? Oh, word. Anyway, Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your kindness to us. And there are many things in this life that we can't understand, like wars, tragedies, Lord, and massacres. And Lord, uh, as our individual lives are blessed, we don't always understand why we are singled out and receive so many blessings. And Lord, I ask that you will bless us, each one here, the families, the children, or grandchildren. Father, draw close to all of us and draw us close to each other. And to help us always to stand for you, no matter what happens, Lord. Help us never to lose sight of you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thank you very much. Well, if I can, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. I, I just have one question. Your grandfather. Yeah. What uh, religion was was he? He was Catholic. He was very, uh, a very <coughs> committed Catholic. And your mom too, right? I and my mom too. But what I want to say this: uh, one day when we were out in the field working on the farm, right. uh, we heard the ch church bells ring right. and uh, my grandfather say well no it's not time for church bells to ring it's not noon or whatever you know right. or I forgot what it was and uh, what the German military were doing they were taking church bells down melting them down for war use yep. and say would in order to get them down from the 
from the church tower without damaging the tower, they would smash the bells until the bells broke to pieces. Then they would take the pieces away for military use. Okay. Well, when my grandfather heard, you know, all, all this uh, going on, yeah, I still remember him standing there in the field and taking off his hat and just standing there in prayer. Okay. And he would do the same for Protestant churches or Catholic churches or whatever. If ever he passed by a Protestant church, he would take off his hat and bow. And so that's the kind of grandfather I had. Yeah. I don't know whether that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have any relation of any Keeslands that still live in that uh, farm, on that farm and in that town? Yeah, the answer is yes and no. Of course, my grandparents passed away. The farm was given to uh, uh, one of my grandfather's daughters, which was my wife's sister, and she got married, but uh, then they passed away. And so uh, uh, there is some distant relative now that lives in the farmhouse. Yeah. Because. Oh, it was all scattered. A, a, a few acres here and a few acres there and, and a few acres on the other side of town. And yeah, it was all... So he farmed quite a bit of land there. Yeah, he did. But it was all scattered pieces, not one big piece. The other, yeah. Well, it's hard to get one big piece in a country like that that was so old. Ours is newer country. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You know, and of course, I don't know the history of this, why it was broken up into so many pieces. Just get, yeah, it was what you but, could acquire, I guess. Pardon? It was what you could acquire. Yeah, that's yeah. a good good way to look at it, yeah. Whatever you could get. How long did it take you to regain, regain English after speech? Oh, that came back very quickly. <laughs> that didn't take long. You still speak German? Pardon? You still speak German? No, that, that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't spoken German for all oh my for decades. Maybe still understand. Yeah, she'll go back to uh, you know what, 1950. I mean, you're talking. Oh my word. Yeah, you're talking about 50, 65 years not speaking German. Yeah. Well, I can read a little bit still and understand one word here or there, but to actually converse, no. Your no. your mom's letter was in English. Yeah. In. Who read it to you, your grandfather? No, no, oh no, it was in German. Oh, it was in German. Oh. Yeah, okay. she wrote the letter in German. Okay. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. sure. All right, yes, ma'am. Do, do, do the folks here know how popular your clear word is, like in the prisons and that sort of thing? Can you just tell us how, how much? Well, first of all, let me say this. Um, I don't get a cent of royalty from, from the book sale. I don't want a cent of royalty, okay? Because I feel that, uh, you know, the Lord led in all this, and, and not, not for me, no. And so the money is used uh, to buy copies for prisoners, and I'll tell you in, in one short sentence in a second, and it's also used, uh, uh, the royalties are also used to help uh, students uh, to go as missionaries. 
or whatever, you know, yeah. So uh, any uh, royalty checks go directly wherever. No, I don't get any penny out of it. Um, but talk about a prison story. Um, a few years back, how long has it been now? Maybe 10 years ago, wow. Um, I get a letter from somebody saying that there is a prisoner up in uh, Nashville who got a copy of, um, you know, the clear word and uh, read it and was converted, gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm sure that he would like to see you. So I drove up to Nashville because my son was a physician and he was practicing in Nashville. Anyway, so there's my daughter-in-law and so on up there. Anyway, so I went up there to see um, this prisoner. And you go down, uh, you know, this certain road, and uh, you first you come across the regular prison. And then you go about another quarter of a mile, and on the left there is uh, the maximum security prison. Okay? And um, he was convicted of murder. In a maximum security prison, there are 750 prisoners in the maximum security prison, okay? About 100 are on death row. In fact, one prisoner, of course, went up there and, of course, studied with them and, uh, you know, had uh, communion with them, led them to Christ. And, yeah, one of them was baptized a couple of years ago and... Uh, well, many of them were baptized, but one of them particularly, uh, he was baptized a couple of years ago, and then right after that he was executed. Yeah. And when they baptize them, you know, uh, they uh, maximum security, yeah, they have uh, uh, ankle chains on and belly chains, and so when they take them to the pool to be baptized, they have to actually lift them down because they can't walk down, not with the ankle chains. And then pick him back up. Yeah. So and I've, I've been up there, and uh, he has been a great witness to other prisoners. And then since then, people have contacted me and uh, uh, who they know, either relatives or friends, and some even their own sons are in prison, you know. And uh, so I have contacts in living in Maryland, Cumberland, Maryland, and I'd have to go through the list now. So I stay in contact with them and write to them, you know, and so on. So, yeah, that's one of my ministries, it's prison ministry. Amen. Absolutely. You know, and we, say, we, we take some of the royalty monies and we buy clear word, copies of the clear word, and we send them uh, to the prisoners. Of course, we cannot, we're not allowed to send hardbacks. Because the hardbacks can have some very sharp points. Only paperbacks, and they have to be shipped from the publisher or from a bookstore. Okay? So if I, we send them from here, I go down to the Adventist uh, bookstore here, and we buy them, and then we have them, have them send them. Yeah. Do you, okay. do you have a yeah. favorite passage? Or I have one passage I'll be very glad to share with you, my friend. Right. <laughs> well, when I was in the military, uh, you know, uh, corresponding with some uh, young ladies and whatever, and um, yeah, one lady wrote back and she, I 
told her I'd given my heart to Christ and so on, you know. And she said, yeah, I think the text that belongs to you is Philippians 1.6. So I looked up 1.6. You know what it says? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? Who will perform it? Who will perform it? He will do it. He will do it. We don't do it. He will do it. Hey? Amen. All we do is cooperate with him. Philippians 1.16. Yeah. Being confident. Confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, any other questions? Where in uh, Washington did you teach? Where in Washington did you teach? Our college up there at that time was called Columbia Union College. Is that where you went? Oh, I'm a graduate and I taught there. But at, when you said you taught in Washington, I said, I Washington. Yeah. Yeah. The Washington Missionary and then Columbia Union, now it's Washington Adventist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. Oh, my word. That goes back to 1970, something like that. Wow. Where does time go? <laughs> All right. Anyway, thank you very much. I don't... This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.